on this episode of Doctor Who's That, we ride the Smuggle Struggle bus, talk about some fancy boys playing pirate, and talk about the moon-faced mystery who is the squire. hearties and welcome aboard doctor who's that this be your captain sean gleason and joining me as always are my crewmates those scurvy dogs bay this is a uh, black bay uh scourge of the seven seas and andy i be andy i be the second mate on this here ship and joining us on the high seas we have chris ahoy mateys <laughs> We're not doing this all show, uh, no. are we? All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, absolutely I've been not. Aboard this vessel. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, real quick, I'm. I gotta say, your your audio is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> are, are you sure it's not just I sounded weird because I was doing a pirate voice? <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe you know what? Maybe I was barking too much, and that kind of like it. Maybe it. Um, it was too loud, and it like uh, it tripped the. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was definitely distorted, though. But like, I think we're pretty good now. So let's continue. Sorry about that. I'm really sorry. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Today we'll be talking about the Smugglers, a pirate-themed adventure. Uh, The Smugglers aired in September and early October of 1966. Um, Before we get into things, I just want to note that we are recording this shortly after we had our announcement of a new doctor coming in. So we know who the next doctor is. And, you know, Shudi Gatwa. And I just wanted to say that going through some of the, you know, online Twitter stuff and Facebook stuff, most people are positive. Most people. But, you know, there, of course, are the racist, hateful statements that you would expect to see from that. And then with um, the casting for the 60th anniversary of a trans actress, Yasmin Finney, now you're getting some statements there as well. So I just want to say one of my favorite quotes from perhaps my favorite doctor is, hate is always foolish, love is always wise. Try to be nice and always be kind. And if those words don't make sense to you, then I don't see how this show appeals to you at all. And I guess, yeah. (laughs) So that's my statement on that. But most people are being positive, and that's great to see. So continuing on now with our State of the Hoonian for 1966, uh, this story is the last story of the third production block. Uh, Filming wrapped up at the end of July, and they'd resume with the next production block in mid-September. Now, Innes Lloyd, 
as we've talked about, was not a fan of historical stories. And he knew that those were not the stories that got people talking. But he also knew they were the stories that were most affordable. So he decided to try retooling the concept. So with this story, we have one that uses a historical setting as a backdrop for a adventure romp that's based more on literary sources and known genre tropes than any historical event. Mm. He felt that the action-packed nature of this type of story and the familiarity of pirate stories in general might help him to sell the show in overseas markets, particularly in the United States. So that was our goal here. Uh, this is our first major location shoot, as before now, all location filming had been done around London. While here, they spent five days out on the Cornwall coast, though apparently the main cast was only there for one day. I remember being uh, uh, impressed and surprised when I saw those location shots. So I was like, oh, they're, they're actually there on the beach. Yep. I was not expecting that. Yeah, so, you know, they actually took the crew out for five days to get various shots, do all the filming. The main cast was brought out for a day. And um, they even got a ship called the Bonnie Mary to play the Black Albatross. And apparently everybody who went on board the ship got extremely seasick. <laughs> There's a story that at one point the director said, get ready immediately vomited over the side of the ship and then called action without missing a beat. <laughs> that's, that's, that's wonderful. That's, I, that's a beautiful <laughs> image. Yeah. Very British. Yeah. Stiff upper lip. So our people behind the scenes here, our writer was Brian Hales, who was the guy who kind of wrote The Celestial Toy Maker. Uh, he had originally been commissioned to write a story called Doctor Who and the Nazis back nice. when John Wiles was still in charge. But Lloyd and Davis rejected the idea as not being family friendly. Well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but then again, like they gave away Indiana Jones at McDonald's when we were kids. So, you know, children are never too young to learn a valuable lesson about the importance of punching Nazis. Yeah. So they wanted, instead, him to make a high-adventure type of serial. Unfortunately, the change was made at extremely short notice, so the story was very hastily written. Oh, really? <laughs> Hales decided on this 17th century story about pirates and smugglers. And, like I said, while technically a historical... The production team didn't really want a story about real historical people. Instead, they wanted more literary sources. So he used things like Stevenson's Treasure Island and Russell Thorndike's Dr. Sin books as say, the inspiration. Pieces of Treasure Island feel like this serial. Yeah. Especially like putting stuff at the inn, for example, you know. Yes. Captain Avery, who's mentioned throughout the story, was actually a historical individual. That's what I thought. And he actually shows up as a character in an 11th Doctor episode. So you could say this one kind of has a prequel, but not really. 
<laughs> so the only question I have there is if that's like a more faithful historical historical. Not at all. Okay. So we're still in like pirate fan fiction. Yeah. Okay. Except that one's pirate fan fiction with computer alien mermaids. I was uh, I remember I remember being confused for a moment when I was watching it about uh, when they introduced uh, Captain Samuel Pike. They kind of pause. There's a sort of a dun 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 moment here, like the audience is supposed to recognize this historical figure, and I thought that's. That's not a historical pirate. That's I looked it up. I thought that name sounds familiar. Uh, there was a clergyman named Samuel Pike, but not a not a pirate. Yeah. There's only one Captain Pike that I recognize. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that one there for the keen-eared among you. Speaking of that, who's a pirate's favorite member of the Enterprise crew? Bones. That's a good answer. Oh, I like there's, that. There's also Tasha Yar. <laughs> oh, God. And then, of course, there's Sulu because he's really good at swordplay. <laughs> That's my favorite of all, <laughs> all of this. Anyways, our director of this story is Julia Smith. She was the second woman to direct Doctor Who after Patty Russell a few stories ago. And she's also known as the other female director at BBC Television in the 60s. She got the assignment to do this story because she knew Cornwall very well. I wondered if that's where... (laughs) Predictably, she did not get along well with Hartnell. Uh, (laughs) At one point, she made the horrible suggestion that he push a different button to open the doors because it would look better on camera, and he flew into a rage. Well, that's because he'd like, as I recall, he wanted each item on the dash there to do a specific purpose. And like, kids will know if I'm just making it all up, you know. I mean, that level of commitment to continuity is something that people, I feel like, demand nowadays. Yeah. And no one cared about back then. So maybe that was really prescient of him. Well, and he's right. Like, kids... I mean, adults wouldn't give a toss, but children would definitely be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not yeah. the doors. That's not what that button does. That's that's yeah. the scanner. What the heck? That button. Yeah. So I respect him for that. The rage, maybe not so much, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Smith created the show EastEnders in 1983, and she, or co-created. And she also created another soap called El Dorado in 1992 that was based on an idea by and produced by Verity Lambert. Ha ha! Yay! That show was a disastrous failure. Oh, come on! (laughs) And she retired soon after that and died of cancer in 1997. Oh. In terms of our music in this story, there is none. Uh, this is our only real story without any incidental music. Hmm. You could have at least got like a little pipe in there or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or some sea shanties. Yeah. Get Jamaica to sing a shanty or something. Come on. <laughs> oh, gosh. Music costs money. There'd be plenty in the public domain. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, you still have to hire performers. Fair I don't know how use. Much this true string their budget was on. Very much of one. They could have at least have pirated a soundtrack. Oh, thank you for doing that. I was, because I was gonna, and then I was like, oh, no. too far. Thanks for falling on the cutlass for me. 
to our cast members. Uh, in this story, Polly is our only female character. So that's a thing that happened. Uh, we have our usual assortment of British actors, though the most notable for our purposes is John Ringham, who played Blake. You will definitely remember John Ringham as Latoxel way back in the Aztecs. Oh, Latoxel. <laughs> Don't forget, you have to take it on an empty stomach. Yeah. As Jamaica, we have Elroy Josephs. It's not the best role in the world, but he is the first black man to get a speaking line in Doctor Who. So I said this at the time. I appreciated that there was an actual person of color on the show, and then they named him Jamaica, and I was sad. <laughs> I was a little sad, too. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, at least he wasn't, he wasn't like, I was like, I was like, oh no. Like when he, when he first came on screen, I'm like, oh no, what are they, it's the, what are they going to do? It's the sixties. But then he wasn't like too bad. He wasn't like a crazy, like, you know, over the top No, he he wasn't the brightest member of the crew either, but I do think that he's like kind of sympathetic for a pirate. Yeah. He's probably one of the more sympathetic pirates. Yeah. So, yeah, and we also have stunt work done by the company Havoc, which was recently formed by Derek Ware, who'd been doing stunts on a number of our stories all along. Now he has his own stunt company. We haven't really gotten into it very much, but because this is missing, mm -hmm. I really would have liked to see that stunt work. <laughs> there was definitely some like great physical stuff going on, like you can tell, but we don't get it. Yeah. Right. It's the second, like, big, cool fight scene that I really wanted to see that we didn't get to see. Like, the sword fight from... Marco Polo. Marco Polo, yeah. Thank you. Or the sandstorm from Marco Polo. Or just anything from Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple... I do notice there were there were a couple of restored segments for those, like, more, like, somebody at home recording their television stuff again. Yeah. We got to see Cherub a little bit. Cherub. Yeah. Cherub threw yeah. a knife. And they reused that a few times. I thought I'd heard that those scenes were uh, preserved because they had been censored. Exactly. Yeah, oh. so the story with those scenes. What's so controversial about yeah. riding on a horse? Because there was a or lot killing of... a man with a knife. I mean, yeah. like, come on. <laughs> like... So what happened with the horse scenes, that was a local who was just filming some of the location work that was being done. So, yeah, the scenes with just people outside, occasional people riding horses, that was just some guy who happened along and was filming, you know, the um, TV show that was being filmed nearby. But we're, we're to understand that that footage is not the footage from the episode, but footage being taken simultaneously from yes. a different vantage point. That's interesting, yeah. too. Yeah, so that's what the, the more blurry footage that you saw, that's what that was. The better, you know, TV quality footage, those were bits that had been censored by the Australian censors due to the unusual amount of coarse violence that they saw when they got this uh, story. And so with however they did things, they kept the bits that they cut out on file but they either junked or sold the episodes to somebody else. So we end up getting the bits that the Australians cut out, and they, they're the ones that survive because of that, while everything else is still missing. 
Come to think of it, this one must have had a pretty high body count. I mean, it's hard to tell because we don't have episode four, but... But presumably from what they were saying, the entire crew of the Black Albatross... I think there are a lot (laughs) of dead pirates in a cave. There are a lot of descriptions of sword fights. Yes. All right, so that's what I've got for you here. So we'll move on to the episode discussion. So we start with episode one, still just known as episode one. And we have our new companions, Ben Jackson and Polly Wanacracker, and they've just entered the TARDIS. I will uh, say this. I uh, I like uh, Polly and Ben a lot more than uh, I liked uh, Steven and Dodo. <laughs> yeah. Ditto. Dodo. Dodo? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm still going to miss Steven a little bit. I thought he, you know, he was endearing in his way. Dodo, not so much. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get into it a little bit more. The the only comment I have, the only way in which they are not as good is Ben is sometimes incomprehensible. <laughs> it does it. It hurts that I can't actually see his mouth form the words. It does. Yeah, but a lot of the time, it's still just like, Oh, blimey! Doctor, fucking and it's like, um, I, th- I mean, I guess that's just Navy talk. It's a working class Cockney accent. Some of it's accent. Some of it's the 60s. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's a yeah, bunch yeah. of yabos. <laughs> sorry, British people. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. So they're just looking around with their blimeys and good heavenses. Guess which one said which. And the doctor is just as confused as they are that he somehow, yet again, kidnapped some 1960s humans. And so he explains the plot of the show to them. But I thought this was interesting because it's kind of the first time this happened. There's almost, I think there's always been another companion there to Mm -hmm. be like, okay, so here's the deal. Here's the whole premise. Yes. Now we finally have the doctor saying, listen, you just got to get up to speed. It takes him a while to <laughs> absorb. He's like, you're on my ship. I don't know where it's going. I wouldn't, I can't change it even if I do. And uh, maybe you'll get home. Yeah. It takes him a while to absorb that part that he, uh, he's, he's not very clear. Of, I mean, uh, uh, not only does he not care about whether or not they get home, but if he did, he he couldn't help. Ben, yeah. ben in yeah, particular, yeah, yeah. takes a while to adjust to the fact that even while they might be in the United Kingdom, they are not in the proper time for him no. to get back. I mean, to it his is ship. Cornwall, though, right? So, like, how would you know? I was thinking about that. How long <laughs> would I be skeptical uh, about the time travel thing? How much would it take me to convince me? Because it's a pretty outrageous claim, right? Yeah. But they step into the box, and it's bigger on the inside, and then they open the same door they came through, and it leads to somewhere else now. Also, they were just helping him with the war machine thing in the last episode. Like, they didn't seem so incredulous then. I don't know. I think, at least for me, it probably would have been by the time we got to the church, and there's somebody, you know, speaking in these and thous, and and I mean, it's like, okay. But that's just one guy. He could be in on it. (laughs) Are you a paid actor? Yeah. Yeah, he could be in an improv troupe. You know how it is. Renfair. (laughs) Probably not a lot of those in Cornwall, but just saying. They end up at a cave. 
since Ben and Polly aren't quite believing this whole thing, they just decide to wander off and the doctor figures, fine, I'll go after these idiots before they get themselves killed. Polly is really excited when she finds out she's on a beach and starts weeing around all over yeah, the place. I wrote that, that down, That sounded too. terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> and, you know, she realizes they're in, in Cornwall. They start heading off toward a church that they see in the distance, which Ben takes to mean, hey, see, we're in our own time, until the doctor explains, you realize that churches have been around for hundreds of years, right, Ben? This isn't America. <laughs> so at the church, they meet an old man, Longfoot, the church warden, who stumbles out of there brandishing a pistol. He mistakes Polly in her pants and cap as a lad and asks the doctor why they're here. And if they came by sea. He's incredibly suspicious. With good reason, as no, we find not, out. No, <laughs> not suspicious of them. Ah. He's a suspicious to the viewer as well. I was like, also, with good reason. Good reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, guess. I, I believe they refer to it as sus now. Oh, yeah. That's right, what the very, young say. very sus. The yes. Youth. We are hip and with it. We are one of you, children. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not capping. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> so <laughs> This is so lit. <laughs> the doctor assures them, assures him they are just travelers looking for shelter, and they're not from the sea, and he offers them food and directions. Clueless Ben wonders what the heck is up with the weird gear this guy's wearing. And the doctor explains, Ben, we are in the 17th century. So Longfoot asks if they've seen anyone else on the road or any ships on the sea. When Ben tries to answer, Longfoot shuts him down. He's only going to take answers from the doctor. And the doctor assures him, we've seen nobody. Are you expecting any friends? And Longfoot just mumbles something. No, not, not friends. Avery's boys are no friends of mine. Oh, your hand, sir. Are you in pain? Hmm? Nah, it is not. The fingers could bend it, me. Dislocated. <laughs> Here the doctor does some actual doctoring and relocates Longfoot's dislocated finger. I quite liked this part. Um, there's something, so like, not that we're, we're going into historical shows and that sort of thing. But in Outlander, one of the main characters is a physician. And I kind of like using modern medicine and knowledge like this to improve people's lives and get them on your side. <laughs> it does uh, It does pretty much immediately gain this guy's absolute trust and confidence. Yeah. It's uh, the old uh, thorn in the nice. lion's paw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a classic tale. And... Uh, also, it's, uh, I know, it's just nice to see the doctor do some actual medical doctoring for a change. Yeah. Now, are we to believe, though, that this was a long-standing dislocation that he had just <laughs> been suffering with for many years? Because, like, I mean, I've had my fingers dislocated before, and, you know, they tend to pop back in themselves. You know, you like, you look down and you're like, oh, you know, that's that's not supposed to be zigzag. Yeah, I felt the implication was that it had just been like that for a long time like it had healed wrong uh, yeah i'd gotten uh -huh. that sense too but it's 
Again, it's kind of hard to tell without the visuals. When you just have words. Or in my case, transcript, because I write all my notes from the transcripts. (laughs) Oh, nice. I think you can hear the bone popping sound effect on the track. (laughs) I might have imagined that. Ben mentions that they should, you know, get back to the beach. But Longfoot tells them that's impossible. The tide's in. And when the doctor asks if they could stay there, Longfoot says, nah, this is no place for a gentleman. But I'll send you off towards the local inn. Just, you know, watch what you say and who you talk to. Which tells us there's zero chance they will not be treated like criminals. (laughs) Yep. Or that there's, you know, zero chance they aren't going to get into some wacky hijinks along the way. Oh, yeah. There's definitely hijinks coming. So he also tells the doctor that if they come back here and don't find him, remember these words. This is dead man's secret key. Smallwood, Ringwood, Gurney. By the way, random guy that I just met. Yeah. I trust you. I trust you implicitly. Here's the key to Avery's gold. Yeah. Thanks for popping my finger back in. Free medical treatment is worth uh, a fortune. Yeah. It was the only way he could repay him for fixing that finger. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, before the National Health Service. I was going to say, are you saying that the NHS (laughs) socialized medicine is worth... (laughs) It's worth Avery's gold. We live in America, Bay. You know this to be true. I'm saying they're English. I mean, back then it was like the the National, like, Leech Association, so... (laughs) (laughs) And note that the rhyme that is said here is slightly different than the one the doctor repeats later. Isn't it small beer, not small wood? Yeah, Yeah, we didn't catch that. And unlike most flubs on this show, it was the guy playing Longfoot who got it wrong, not Hartnell. Well, that's a first. (laughs) Well, that is a first. (laughs) Yeah. So after the doctor and crew head off, a bald man with a long knife heads inside the church. At the inn... The landlord, Jacob Cooper, sends his stable boy, Tom the stable boy, to the church to tell Longfoot that a delivery can be expected soon, and we get one of our many moving horse shots. Uh, The TARDIS crew arrives at the inn soon after, where Cooper initially tells them that they're full. Strangers aren't welcome here, and are rarely what they seem. But then Cooper hears that they that Longfoot sent them, and Cooper changes his tune. He welcomes them and becomes much more hospitable. Still wondering why that uh, why that horse shot was censored in Australia. <laughs> well, it made me think that Tom was going to be an important character. Listeners, he was not. No, <laughs> I mean he no, did have a scene or two, but that's about it. Yeah, but it's even better in the telesnaps because he just looks like. A Rosessa Annie doll, you know, like he's just like just they gave him they gave him one face and it's like and it just cuts to that like a couple of times. It's so good. Every time like it's Tom, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so Polly once again is referred to as a lad, which is just making her uncomfortable. But the doctor assures her, look, this is for the best. Yeah. How would these people react to a maiden in trousers? They'd lose their mind. Probably die laughing, says Ben. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely laughing. Yes. That's how pirates would react to that. Probably not. There were there were a lot of uh, very successful women pirates from this era, actually. Yeah, uh, that is true. So, uh, I don't know. They would. That doesn't mean that uh, uh, they would. Uh, uh, that Polly would be well received. No, <laughs> I'm sure it was. It was not. A, that was not an easy life by any stretch of the imagination. She might be better received by them than by random Cornwallish vis- villagers. I don't know. But anyway, the doctor says, you know, we'll return to the TARDIS soon, but don't get your hopes up about getting home. Remember, I can't, you know, control where the TARDIS lands. So Polly wonders why these strangers, why these people are so wary of strangers. But the doctor just tells her not to worry about it. We're not going to be here long enough to find out. This is just going to be one episode, Polly. Just one episode. (laughs) This guy runs an inn and he doesn't like strangers. It's (laughs) not a successful business model. (laughs) It kind of gave me pause. It's like, who, who stays at this inn? Uh, Are there maybe Uh, farmers who have like a long way to go from town? But they're also strangers. Like, I was thinking, who who are the locals that are staying at this inn? Well, you see, it, it's the the um the bar portion of the inn that does all the business. I see. And then you know, he while Tom works for him, I'm sure that Tom also rents a room from him, so that just cancels out. I mean, Tom is not the brightest bulb. He's, he's no. probably like not even getting his full pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We'll have to put the face that I've been making in the show notes, but it's it's yeah. good old good old Tom. Permanently agape Tom, not a thought in his head. Get the horse, Tom. Why are you still standing there, Tom? He's touched. He always looks confused and slightly disgusted. <laughs> I like how much hay we're making out of this bit character who did nothing. Just because his telesnap is just like hilariously vacuous looking. That's a good point. It might be he's, you know, just bad luck to, that's the one frame. It's uh it's- the the one frame somebody decided to snap a photo of. So back at the church, Longfoot has gotten good and drunk and is singing a sea chanty when he notices he has a visitor. Cherub, as it turns out, is our bald fellow who is an old crewmate of Longfoot's from aboard the Black Albatross. Longfoot says they are not friends. He's a good Christian man now. But Cherub just says, We miss you, matey, and you owes Captain Pike. So where's Avery's gold, Holy Joe? Cherub asks what his friends, the old man and the two lads, and Longfoot tells him to rot in hell, lunges for his gun, but Cherub hurls a knife, dinging Longfoot between the shoulder blades. This was one of the only moments of movement that we got, but it was pretty good. We got several scenes of Cherub throwing a knife and getting somebody in the back and or chest. So was this part of the, like, what was it, choreography troupe or? Stunts. Stunts. Possibly. Oh, uh, what were they called? Chaos? Um, Havoc. Havoc. Damn. I figure that they were definitely involved in the sword fight. 
I don't know how much they would were involved in that bit, but probably some at the very least, I'm sure. There's a lot of knife throwing. I think yeah. Cherub does all of the murders we get to see happen. Yes. Well, I think Pike gets one in. I mean, of the ones that are moving. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that was that's moving. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. No, we totally get to see him, like, yeah. m- lunge menacingly. Yeah. There's some menacing lunges that we've, you know, survived to this day. The Australians definitely did not like Cherub's knife-throwing ways. I want to talk for a second about Cherub. I found, like, I, I'm sorry, maybe it's just me, but, like, so, like, there's a guy named Cherub, and then there's a guy named Cooper, but it's, like, K-E-W, right? Like, yeah. or what, am I just, like, do I have a brain? No, 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 it's weird. Okay. Okay. Good. And so, like, I keep seeing like the Q, the Q, like and then there's the there's yeah, like a Cupy, and then there's then there's Cherub, and then there's a guy that actually looks like a Cherub later, <laughs> right? Like, and so I I kept like I'm just like, oh, there's too many <laughs> Cherubs. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just me. There's too many baby face people. <laughs> yes, like what? Like, like we've got Cherub, who you know he's kind of baby face, and then we like literally come to like a person who looks like the moon from like a Melies picture. Right? See, I was, <laughs> Andy, I thought you were going to talk about the actor because uh, I I think the actor like had some great telesnaps in this one. I mean, we don't get to really get very much of his performance besides the knife flick, but uh, that's one Gowron looking dude. Man, he's pretty bug-eyed. <laughs> he's got the crazy eye. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's a menacing figure, Cherub. <laughs> I keep wanting to call him Cupid now. It's really screwed up. Like, it just, I'm going to do it. Like, it's going to happen. My brain's messed up. But anyway, as Longfoot is dying, he warns that black villain who slew him about Avery's curse. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> In the inn, Ben and Polly are wondering at the inn's shady-looking customers, and the doctor reminds them to just keep their mouths shut, like Longfoot had suggested. Tom the stable boy returns and tells Cooper that Longfoot is dead. Cooper suspects his strange new guests and sends Tom out to get the squire. Meanwhile, Cherub had some tough-looking dudes enter and grab the doctor, saying they have, or had, a mutual acquaintance, and you're going to tell me what he told you. Polly tells him to leave the doctor alone, and one of the men grabs her. Knives are drawn. Uh, The doctor ends up getting slung over a burly man's shoulder and carried off. (laughs) Ben's clubbed into unconsciousness. And, you know, just a fight scene we didn't get to see. I'm just, I'm sorry to keep on, like, st- stopping us, but it's definitely, like, a sack person that they loaded onto that cart. <laughs> yeah. That was not Hartnell. Yeah. That was a scarecrow. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't expect Hartnell to do his own stunts in this, do you? <laughs> no, no, I just got a kick out of it. So the local squire arrives and helps with Ben as he tells Polly to tell him who they are and what's going on and to tell him the truth. A bit later, Ben comes to. Polly explains the situation to him and says that so far she's refused to tell the squire anything. When the squire questions Ben... Ben says he'll get his answers when we get our doctor back. At this point, the squire's had enough and just has them arrested for the murder of the church warden. The sawbones won't talk, not to me. Well, by thunder, you'll talk to me. 
Or my name's not Samuel Pike. Meanwhile, the doctor's been taken to the Black Albatross. Uh, he's taken to the captain, who is not happy with being disturbed and demands to know what's being dragged into his cabin this time. Cherub explains that Holy Joe's dead, but not before telling his secrets to this old fella. And when he's told that the doctor won't talk, Pike slams his hook hand deep into his table as he says, Well, you'll talk to me. So I thought it was interesting. I'm used to a hook. This is not what I would have called a hook. It definitely was like a pike. Yes. Or something like that. It's a, it's a tip of a pike. Andy has just put up that image of gaped mouth Tom behind him (laughs) sort of a sullen angry Tom (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's a mishmash of anger confusion and fear I'm gonna be honest like this is right around the time in in this serial where I lost all track of what was going on for quite some time (laughs) So, like, I'm just amusing myself at this point with those small things that, like, really caught my eye. But, like, I'm I'm still with it. I'm still with it. I mean, if you put up multiple images of Tom, then you'd have a confusion of Toms behind you. I would. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we'll move on to episode two. Uh, The pirates explain that Longfoot knew where Avery's hidden treasure was. He didn't tell us anything before he died, but he did tell you. Cherub begs Pike to let him torture the information out of the doctor, and Pike asks, Well, doctor, will you loosen your tongue or lose it altogether? Meanwhile, Ben and Polly are in jail, where Ben's just doing some complaining, and Polly's finding it all very exciting, telling Ben that he lacks imagination. She decides to treat this jail cell like an escape room until she sees a rat and turns into Susan. Yeah, disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it happens. I was surprised by that. Well, you know, I've been having a mouse problem at my uh, apartment lately, and occasionally they've turned me into a Susan. So I get it, Polly. <laughs> I get You're it. You're feeling sympathetic watching. <laughs> they first introduce escape rooms the pastime while in prison. <laughs> no, I mean uh, historically, real life. Historically, wonder, when uh, you were in prison, a, a a reference that like people in the '60s would have uh, uh, done that something like that for recreation. Well, I mean, they actually, go they they go all the way back to the to the 16th century. They would lock you in a room with a leper, and you would have to get out without getting leprosy. And really, everybody would laugh. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds made up. Dude. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Imagine a society so stressed out. That their recreation is trying to get themselves out of a locked room. <laughs> Name's Tom. I've been put in charge of you prisoners. I've got the keys. But I'm not to speak with you murderers. But we didn't kill him. Only a stranger would kill the church warden. You're strangers. Well, we're not the only ones. What about the geezers who kidnapped the doctor? Well, no one else has seen them. But they were there. Tom is apparently also our jailer. And he goes to find out what all the screaming's about and begins to chat with them against orders. He lets them know that he's sure they must have killed the churchman because only a stranger would kill the churchman. 
and you're the only people who we've seen around here who are strangers, and you're the only strangers who have seen those strangers who took the doctor, so that means you're the strangers who killed Longfoot. Unassailable logic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they did pretty much immediately volunteer the information that they were the last people to see him alive. Yes. Which is not good for them. Not a a smart move. Yeah. (laughs) Ben wonders if he thinks the doctor disappeared by magic. And this gives Polly an idea on how to deal with these superstitious yokels. But first, she needs some straw from the rat corner. So that's your job, Ben. Well, doctor, you talk sweet. But don't toy with me or you'll ruin it. My dear sir, I'm sure you can quickly see through any flattery of mine. I indeed I could. So let us talk like men of the world. Be elegant and with dignity. Talk away. Where is tongue, Captain? Make way for the doctor, you swab. In Pike's cabin, the doctor is busy buttering Pike up like he does by saying how much of a gentleman he obviously is. I was thinking of Andy during this because I know he likes all the social engineering stuff. Well, I mean, like, this is one of... I I think this is probably going to be the thing that I will most miss about, like, Hartnell's doctor (laughs) is just that that kind of... It's very clear that you're you're very refined and and, uh, I wouldn't even dream of getting something past you. (laughs) It's just like, I just... Love the way he does like, that. You're obviously a man of taste. You know, yes. like, let's have some brandy and talk about it. I won't talk with you, you scalawag. We're all fancy boys here. <laughs> yeah. That's how he bonds with his enemies. Yeah. They also appreciate that uh, Pike gives him a fun pirate nickname, too. He refers to him as Sawbones for yep. pretty much the yeah. entire episode. Because he's a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> that was very good. Cherub clearly realizes what the doctor's been doing because it's usually Cherub who's doing the buttering up of Pike. And he tries to, you know, warn the captain to beware the old man's tongue. But Pike just sends him out to fetch some wine. He offers the doctor a share of the treasure in exchange for what he knows. And they have a toast. At this point, Jamaica bursts in, saying that there's a boat approaching. So Pike has the doctor taken to the security galley, just in case. Back in the jail, Polly's made a straw doll. Ben calls Tom over and convinces him that they have placed Tom's soul in the doll to punish him for their imprisonment. And if Tom frees them, then he'll get his soul doll back. I I was simultaneously like, there, so Tom. There's a there are a few a few problems with this. <laughs> These days, voodoo doll is not the most PC thing, really. But like, I can overlook that because it's the sixties. I thought you were going to say that the biggest problem is that this trick would work on half of Congress. Oh gosh, I I was more saying that I have a hard time believing that it would work on anybody. There are a few switcheroo tricks in these like next episodes where it strains credulity, but I guess pirates and pirate adjacent folks are a superstitious lot. A superstitious and cowardly lot. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I don't know. It's a it's a very uh, bold uh, uh, scheme. Uh, but it's uh, smarter than uh, anything I, th- I recall Steven or Dodo trying. At least it's creative. It is creative. <laughs> I don't know. I was just surprised that Tom was that dumb. 
<laughs> I don't know what I should have expected. Based on his expression, I know. So, yes, they are immediately let out of jail and decide to go back to the church to search for the doctor and to find the real killer. Uh, the visitor to Pike's ship turns out to be Cooper, the innkeeper. He's there to talk about some smuggling business and name checks the squire and the warden as his partners. A cherub grabs him and Pike says that he wants to do business with the squire, not some innkeeper. It comes out that they're the ones who killed the church warden. Cooper had no idea that he's talking to Captain Pike and not a, you know, regular smuggling contact. And it's really just a bunch of nonsense. It's a lot of uh, lies and schemes yep. uh, that kind of uh, run into each other at weird cross purposes uh, in this series. Yep, and basically the pirates decide that they're going to, you know, pretend to be the smugglers now. I watched this one ahead of time, too. I really want to say that. Like, I really tried. <laughs> like, I want everyone to know that. Normally I watch it at, like, 1.25 speed or 1.5 speed because I'm like, you know. But I, I was like, no, this one, we're doing it right. And I'll be damned if it was not the most confusing mess. It's a hard one to do right. I was going to ask you guys, like, what actually was going on with Holy Joe Longfoot? So, like, who was he working with? simple enough. Longfoot is a retired pirate who knows where Avery's uh, lost hidden No, that's true, but he was already running a smuggling ring out of the church. Yep, he is... The squire's in charge of the smuggling ring. Uh-huh. The smuggling ring uses the church for their operations. Right. Yes. So, you know, I guess um, Longfoot was in charge of the tunnel and keeping watch over the That's all cache fine. Of goods Who is all. supplying the goods from the sea, if not his former crew who just showed up and, and knifed him? Other smuggling contacts, Other I'm sure, who are... Yeah, other dudes who are not appearing in the story. That's what I couldn't quite put wrap my head around is who are the contacts generally using this smuggling ring if it were, wasn't his old cohort? Just various See, Andy is as confused in. as I am. No, actually, you know, I was just about to say literally the only thing that I didn't question was where that other stuff was coming from. I was like, oh, that's they're smugglers. They smuggle for other people, too. Everything else, I had no idea what was going on. Like when Chris, when Chris was just a moment ago, like running down the story about long, I was like, "How did you do that, you wizard?" Like, I didn't, I didn't. like I said, it starts off simple, then it gets very convoluted. The simple thing is, uh, you know, he uh, he knows where this buried treasure is. The last person he told about it before he died was the doctor. So they kidnapped okay. the doctor because the doctor knows where the treasure is or knows okay. the password because <laughs> Avery told him. That that much is simple, no, and then after fine. that it gets needlessly it but, complicated. But like <laughs> yeah. Cooper, I thought he was dipping his snoot in all of it. Uh, Cooper is just the go-between between the squire and the smugglers. Yep, because the, the squire can't be seen with them directly. No, of course he's, not. Uh, he's a fancy man. He's he can't be seen colluding with the criminals. He's supposed to be stopping. Yeah. What is a is he like? Is that a title at this point? Like, because you know, squires, uh, you know, medieval times, knights. Is squire like a? Is it a thing? I thought it would just, or is that just his that name, he was like, like his a nickname. fancy lad. Yeah, he's you know the 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 guy in charge of this particular community. I suppose they treat him like he's some kind of. Uh, Magistrate, magistrate slash yeah. mayor slash you know yeah I mean okay. they they fetch him to enforce the law but I mean like back then exactly back then lawyers would ride on circuits 
Like, that's where you get circuit courts from, is, like, they would literally get on horseback and ride around. Yeah, I think this guy is just the guy who's in charge, and that's what we're supposed to get from it. It is pretty vague. Oh, yeah, who is this guy? He wears a wig. <laughs> he wears a wig like he's in court. This is the best part of this particular podcast, by the way. It's the four of us just trying to piece together what the hell was happening. Who is this? <laughs> what is his job? <laughs> he was mysterious. <laughs> He's a villain. I thought I had him figured out, and then I I thought he was like a, a policeman, and then I thought he yeah. was a judge, and then I thought he was the mayor, and now it turns out he was merely hinted to be some of those things, but was never actually explicitly declared to be any of those things. He's so, a local nobleman, a baron yeah, yeah. of some type. He's a, he's a local nobleman who is supposed they say to that? be enforcing the law, but I think it's pretty clear. secretly corrupt and working... Uh, with, or the head of a smuggling ring. That's yeah. kind of the. That's all we really need to know about him. He's he's operating okay. the land based portion of this smuggling operation from like an administrative okay. level. Yes. In addition to his duties, like enforcing the law and being a fancy man. I mean, I I assume that his primary contribution to the smuggling ring was to not do anything, to to look the other way because he's supposed to be enforcing the law, and then he just kind of collects. But his later, cake. doesn't he? Yeah, but what later doesn't he like? He seems to have, like I remember him having like intimate knowledge of this. Like he's like, here's how you open the grave, and they'll be empty by tomorrow, and don't yeah. follow me down the secret caves. He seemed to be very hands on for a yeah. guy who's supposed to just be a corrupt cop. Yeah, he's a mystery. So it is. It is a big mystery why what his role is. He's a hand. He's he's a very you know hands on micromanager. But you could imagine that he. <laughs> I, I this is a bit of a stretch. You could imagine that he's sent out here to enforce the law, right? He finds out about mm-hmm. a smuggling ring. He thoroughly investigates it. Then he's like, "I'm gonna leave this right here. Just cut me in <laughs> on it." Yeah, I know all about the graves. I was supposed to do something about it, but that's work. <laughs> Well, then he goes to, you know, he goes that extra step to start trying to, to run the whole thing and uh, also got greedy. Stop the doctor and his companions from uh, ruining the operation. This is, uh, this is all the squire's fault. Got greedy. Should have just shut yeah. him yeah. down. So, yeah, basically, Pike is going to go meet with the squire and he leaves Jamaica to keep an eye on the doctor and Cooper. Meanwhile, Ben and Polly go back to the church crypt where they could have found a pun-making skeleton man, but instead they find absolutely nothing of interest and just start sniping at each other some more. Comedy. (laughs) Andy is still not satisfied. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I was still, like, I was replaying it all in my head, and then, like, it hurt, and I was, like, but... And then you started talking about the crypt scene, and I remember, like, what didn't I like about that? Well... No, I mean it was really it was a little boring. I like I do like how they go into the deep deep dark crypt and they're like, this sucks. There's nothing here. Like yeah, it doesn't do a whole lot. It's like a failed Scooby Doo. And then like thankfully another person shows up and moves the plot along. Yeah, another person shows up, gets bonked on the head, and they gets tied up. If this is the murderer, then we're in the clear. And then if we tell the squire, now he'll help us find the doctor. I must have sure. He was a big thick-headed, that squire. Too much like a petty officer for my liking. Yeah, but we'll never find the doctor without help. And only he can work for TARDIS. Yeah, I see what you mean. 
Polly decides this has to be the real killer, so let's bring him back to the squire. And Ben's just like, oh no, I know his type. He's like a petty officer, thick-headed. But Polly convinces him that they need the squire to find the doctor, and we need the doctor to get into the TARDIS, so I'm going to go and get the squire. The, the petty officer comment reminds me of something that I was thinking immediately at the beginning of this this particular serial. We have a sailor man, like a bona fide naval sailor. Spinach Wasn't he eater? just about to be? No, no, or no. Wait, how I long mean, had like, he been? He, he okay. needed to ship back out and he knows about his petty officer. Right, okay, but he was shipping out. That's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I assume that he's already been to sea before simultaneously with no i'm just saying like simultaneously we've got this smugglers plot with a bunch of pirates yeah nothing about him being a seaman does does anything at no point is his naval his knowledge as a navy man useful or relevant to dealing with yeah i kept waiting for something that he knew or did to be relevant and it just wasn't I also was wondering about that. Why is he not, um, why, why does it never come up that he's from the Navy? I was just waiting for him to break into a round of YMCA or Macho Man. I do think he had the right instinct, though, uh, to um, not go to the Squire. That was clearly a mistake. <laughs> uh, this is a lesson that Polly clearly needed to learn the hard way. It's a very important lesson for everyone. Never go to the cops. They just make things worse. They don't help. All Squires are Yep. <laughs> I know you're going to have to bleep that out, but they'll know. <laughs> so Ben questions the prisoner and learns that he is Josiah Blake, the king's revenue officer. He's after some smugglers. That passage that he just came through is the route they've been using, and it leads out to the beach. Ben gets really excited and rushes off to take a look abandoning his prisoner like a good sailor would. (laughs) On the ship, Cooper and the doctor trade information. They realize they have to escape in order to save themselves and the village, as apparently, quote, no one has ever seen Pike's deadly hook and lived, especially if Avery's treasure is the prize. So basically, yeah, this guy's just going to slaughter the village. So the doctor says he has a plan, and loudly asks Cooper if he plays cards. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with the plan, but we'll get there. Well, it has everything to do with the plan. Everything. Elsewhere, Pike and Cherub arrive at the squire's house to present themselves as honest smugglers. So they could take everything here, all the hidden smuggled goods, and Avery's treasure. They're brought into the squire's study and say that they're just honest merchants, which is a jest that delights the squire quite a bit. They start to get some details out of the squire when his servant drags Polly into the room. She starts telling him about the guy in the church, then she sees Cherub and exclaims, hey, he's the one who took the doctor. The squire doesn't believe a word of her story, and Pike and Cherub egg on his disbelief. They bound and gag her and head off to the church to capture her friend. Ben arrives back at the church, happily saying that he found the TARDIS. The squire's there with Pike and Cherub, pistol in hand, and tells Ben that he's been recaptured again. 
and we move on to episode three. One of the things that's confusing about the uh, the squire is that uh, when you realize that he's in yeah. on it, with, that he's actually working with the smugglers, and then he doesn't believe uh, Polly about uh, Cherub um, being the real killer, you think for a minute, wait, is he... Does he not believe her, or is he pretending not to believe her because he's on the pirate's side, and he's not because the pirates and the smugglers are 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 enemies. They're both trying to. They're both after the same treasure. But it's confusing for getting a at there. people's backstories and their motivations. And are they really at working together, or are they just temporarily using each yeah. other? It gets really thorny at, at that point. I thought that the squire was corrupt and he's pretending he's calling Polly a liar because he actually is working with the pirates. And then it turns out he's just an idiot. So yeah. I, I like the actor who played Blake, which makes a lot of sense now, knowing that he was also the actor who had played Latoxel because he's excellent. Um, <laughs> But maybe part of the reason that I liked Blake so much is he and the main characters, like, they're the only people that you consistently know where they stand and, like, what's going on with them and how they're related to each other. The others can get a little confusing. Yeah, Pike's motivations are simple. Blake's motivations are simple. Uh, The Squire is a real wild card. (laughs) (laughs) Wild card. Squirrely Squire. So, episode three... Ben insists, like Polly, that Cherub was the guy who took the doctor, but the squire tells him to not besmirch the name of these good merchants. The squire identifies Blake as a revenue man, but assures Pike that this guy knows nothing. Cherub cuts Blake free, and the squire gives Blake the duty of taking the murderers back to jail. Blake insists that he's here to find some smugglers, And Cherub suggests, well, they're murderers, can't they be smugglers too? Blake agrees and leads Ben and Polly away, covering them with the squire's pistol. Pike and Cherub continue to drown the squire in flattery, which he happily laps up as he shows them exactly where the smuggled cache of goods is. Right. He must be on their side because he thinks that they're with the smugglers he's been working with. Exactly. But, but he is confused about their role in the yes. entire... He doesn't know they're pirates. He yeah. thinks they're only And this smugglers. is where I was confused for a moment, but then you're like, no, they killed Joe. Yeah, and he's very dumb for not believing that yes. part because he if, he, if they're the smugglers he's been looking for, he doesn't want them to have killed Joe. Who's Joe? Oh, sorry, Joe uh, the, uh, Long, the church Longfoot. Longfoot. Oh, Longfoot. Yes. Church man. Okay, yeah. Oh, God. Jesus. Holy Joe. I thought yeah. I missed another person. No, no. I, 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 this is just me being confused <laughs> during the episode <laughs> and trying to catch up. Okay, I'm good. So yeah, Pike and the Squire head back to the house. Cherub heads off to the coast, back to the ship. Back on the ship, the Doctor is using a deck of cards to tell Cooper's future. This really ticked me off because I was like, is <laughs> yeah. he trying to do tarot? I think he's trying yeah. to do tarot with a normal deck. He does a tarot reading with a deck of uh, normal playing cards. So it makes a yeah. lot of sense. I guess that he asked Cooper if he knew how to play cards, since this is like yeah. a game that everybody knows. I mean, the the tradition of tarot has changed a lot over the centuries. It wasn't always uh, the, the modern deck that they use today. 
the idea that they would be using normal playing cards is probably not that weird to the to the people in this time period, but it is it is a weird moment. Well, it was pretty clear to me that the doctor was like BSing his way through everything. Yeah. And uh it's nice to see that even in the past they had fifty two card pickup. Yeah. Because they, you know, used the cards to arouse Jamaica's interest to want his fortune told as well. They drop the cards, knock Jamaica out when he goes to pick him up, and sneak their way back to Cooper's boat to go to the shore. The doctor may not be a soldier, but he's jolly crafty at getting himself out of trouble. At least he was when we were in London. Yes, and why not here, my dear? Doctor! What happened? At the stables, Blake releases Ben and Polly. He tells them that he believes their story over the squire's because he suspects that the squire is in charge of the smuggling ring. And, of course, those men he was with were clearly smugglers. So Blake's plan is to go and get some soldiers to help break the ring. And, you know, he laments that their captured friend is a scholar and not a fighter. Just as Polly is assuring him that the doctor is jolly crafty at getting out of trouble, the doctor shows up because he always chooses the perfect moment to appear. I I really liked that line. (laughs) Me too, man. But I I felt like it wasn't earned quite yet because Polly hasn't had enough time to see the doctor be jolly crafty. Well, I mean, he dealt with those war machine things. Yeah, I guess that's true. He was pretty crafty. Don't forget, like, that whole, like, stand, like, stand, like, war machine stare down scene. I mean, did, wait, did Polly see that? She didn't see it. No, I think I that she was think hypnotized she saw much of anything. Of yeah. Well, then, yeah, I definitely didn't read that. <laughs> <laughs> she listened to, you know, Ben's story. <laughs> Maybe she's just being optimistic. Yeah. This is not something she's saying based on experience, but she just wants to believe it. She went and watched the TARDIS's recording of the last adventure. Yeah, I've been watching this show for years now. I've been I've been catching up from that coma I was in, <laughs> binging. So the doctor explains how he escaped the ship with Cooper's help, but Cooper thinks that he's been led into a trap. Says that he'd kill the doctor if he hadn't just saved him. Jumps on a horse and starts shooting at Blake as he gallops away. That was very abrupt. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just because it was telesnaps, but he's like, hey, what the hell? I'm going to kill you if I see you again. Yeet. You ain't taking me in, copper. Right. I don't know how he could have concluded that uh, the doctor planned it that way. <laughs> yes. Yes, I was leading you into an ambush. So you planned to be captured by Captain Pike solely to get to me. Solely to get to me so that you could trick me into being in the same place with Blake. Yep. Me, the middleman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, easily the least important member of this smuggling ring. Well, like, Cooper's just in a bad position now, though, because, like, nobody has any need for him anymore. Oh, he just has to be written out well, of the story. Well, yes. he, he, he also just has to watch out for number one now because everybody hates him. Yeah. It probably would have been smarter for him to just leave yeah. town at that point, though. You make a very Bye. good point that at this point he's got no friends left. Yeah, he's he's staying with his aunt. He's sick. I've got my thriving business, an inn that doesn't like strangers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so back at the Black Albatross, Pike is hurling some insults at Jamaica, 
as Jamaica begs for mercy and tells him that the prisoner said something about going to the squire. Pike reasons that the squire wouldn't call in the militia, but he may try to lay a trap. So Pike decides that they'll lay a trap instead, land during the day, clear out the cash, while, you know, Pike and Cherub seek the treasure. And for a good measure, he hooks Jamaica to death, so we get a ding. Yeah, this was sad. Jamaica got a raw deal. And he wonders where Cherub's gone off to anyways. I am proud of the uh, pirate community that uh, it was the pirate community that brought uh, this um, uh, increased uh, uh, diversity to to Doctor Who as a serial. But I still wish that there had been better representation. There's a long way to go still. I wish Jamaica had had a better role. Really, really got a raw deal there. R.I.P. Jamaica. The Doctor has told Blake all about Pike. And they figure that Cooper will probably go and tell um, the squire about Pike as well. So Blake figures the pirates and the smugglers will be fighting each other. He'll have time to go raise some men and take down both. And he heads off to do just that. And boy, does he. Man, does he come back in force. No, he's he's (laughs) responsible for the fireworks factory there at the end of of, uh, episode four. It is exciting to see them marching down the lane, because you know exactly where it's going. Yes. Ben, meanwhile, just says, Welp, this is all done. We can leave any time we want now. But the doctor feels that he's under a moral obligation to stay. He feels that his presence has put the entire town in danger, and that he has to make sure that things are safe until Blake returns. Uh, Ben and Polly are reluctant, saying they don't stand a chance against Pike. But the doctor says, yeah, but we know something Pike doesn't. We have a clue to the treasure. If we find it first, maybe we could strike a bargain or at least distract him until Blake returns. Polly's fully into this idea. Ben calls them a couple of nutcases, but hey, he'll try anything once. So yeah, (laughs) let's do this. This is really where this particular serial starts to take off, as far as I'm concerned. Like, from here on out, it's just good times. Like, you've got the doctor (laughs) cracking mysteries in a crypt with, like, a secret wall. You've got people rolling back tombs in, in the churchyard. You've got sword fights. You have a large Great Dane who just wants Scooby Snacks. I knew it. Yeah. I, yeah. I knew that's where that was going. I, I was about to say that. It's like, wait, we've got pirates, we've got crypts. It's, you know. But, but it's just, uh, this is really where I think it, it picks up because it, it starts off a little bit slow. Just a lot slow. And they say bye to Tom. Bye, Tom, who's then approached by Cherub, who demands to know where those people have taken off to. And I think this is the last we see of Tom, so maybe Ding, considering uh, what Cherub tends to do. He's too dumb to die. He's probably better off that way. He's too dumb to live. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fun fact, he actually doesn't know how to breathe. Somebody needs to help him. (laughs) He died in the next scene when he forgot to breathe. (laughs) 
the face that he's always making. It's, uh, it's because he has the same kind of uh, uh, condition that uh, that pugs have. Yeah. <laughs> right. You just like if you if you make a, a sound that's too loud around Tom, he just goes stiff and falls over. Uh, like a fainting goat. You you can't leave Tom out in the rain because otherwise, with that Kate mouth expression, he'll, he'll drown. Just, drown. Yeah, just drown. Yeah. Somebody flip over Tom. <laughs> Back at the squire's house, Cooper brings the squire up to date on the whole Pike situation and also on Avery's gold being around here somewhere. They decide they're going to lay a trap for the pirates by nightfall. But first, let's search the church for the gold ourselves. No, not here. Hey, in the crypt. Yes, my dear, exactly. Good heavens, what an imposition. Well... You are inspired. Come on, quickly. So our trio of travelers arrive at the church. As the doctor tries to make sense out of what Longfoot told him, while the doctor's sitting and thinking, Ben and Polly run around like a couple of children searching for the oldest tombstone. I like how he, I think it's Ben notes this yes, like one ben. tombstone and he's like, whoa, this is super old. And she's like, you know, we're in like the 18th century, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like that was 50 years ago, Ben. Their game leads the doctor to realize that the dead people are the key. And leads Hartnell to say, what an inspiration. Well, you are inspired, my dear. <laughs> they go into the crypt as the doctor tells them Longfoot's rhyme. And, you know, Ben wants to show the doctor the hidden passage. So the doctor indulges him as Penny begins to search for the names as Penny. As Polly begins to search for the names and the doctor chuckles. Meanwhile, Cooper and the squire have arrived, and they realize that someone's in the crypt. They assume that it's probably that doctor, as Pike would be, you know, smarter and more careful about making sure that there's a lookout. It's also lucky for them, as the doctor holds the secret to the treasure. In the crypt, our trio found those three names, and the doctor realizes that they actually have four names they need to find. Instead of waiting until after the doctor explains this, Cooper and the squire interrupt him and demand to know what he knows. The doctor refuses to help them, and Cooper threatens to kill his friends, but the squire's like, Whoa, dude, this is going too far. I'm not going to be involved in cold-blooded murder. I'm too fancy a lad to get blood on my yeah. hands. <laughs> I'm beginning to think the squire is just a rich <laughs> wandered into this situation. I mean, kind of. We were so confused about what is his job here. <laughs> right, like, he's got, I guess he's got scruples. He's got. He's a mixed bag of scruples, this guy. Yeah. I mean, he has no problem with the whole smuggling thing, but murder is a step too far. I mean, I can understand that. Cooper, however, does not seem to have that no, problem. No. I mean, you would think, though, like, this smuggling ring it seems a little murdery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, if we're being honest. So, like, I mean, you know. it's made up of he's pirates. Got it. Like, maybe he just doesn't want to. Yeah. Maybe oh, yeah, he just doesn't want to be there for the murder. pretending to be smugglers. The smugglers are different oh, people. No. In this case, uh, they were two different. They're two different uh, criminal factions that are both after the treasure. Yeah, but look, if the squire doesn't know what happened, then it's okay. You know, he doesn't need to know how they got the goods, just that the goods mysteriously appeared here. Yeah, just that they got caught. Yeah, exactly. 
Doesn't matter who got got to get it. Yeah. He seemed right. pretty happy to cover up the murder of Longfoot. But again, I was assuming that he was doing that on purpose. Uh, it's unclear whether he's just incompetent and really thinks Cherub is innocent. <laughs> I mean, his name is Cherub. He's got to be a good exactly. guy. He's like a little cute little little guy, right? Yeah, he's just a little stabby. I just like, I, I uh, it gets back to that earlier point. It's like, oh, who should I trust? Uh, this woman who says that she witnessed a murder and has no reason to lie to me or a man that smells like butts and clearly kills people. <laughs> have one, have some wine. Throw that, yeah. throw her in jail. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of time for all of this to play out because Cooper gets got pretty quickly, like right between the back. Yep, because as the squire and Cooper argue about whether to murder somebody, Cherub comes in and dings Cooper. A gunshot rings out. Polly screams, and the episode ends. I found ends. that confusing. Um, and I guess you're probably supposed to. Yes. You know, who got shot? I was like, wait, I, who I shot yeah, well, I thought DR. <laughs> but we've got, we already had like a knife working as a projectile. Right. And now we have like an actual projectile. We just saw a man throw a knife and then we hear a gunshot <laughs> who has the gun, who's holding the gun. <laughs> Let alone who got shot. We find out in episode four, turns out Cherub was holding the gun in one hand and the throwing knife Boo. in the other. And it's the squire Boo. who's been shot. It turns out the baby did it. It's a very <laughs> weird uh, twist on the cliffhanger. <laughs> who who's who just killed a guy? It's the the guy who just killed who a guy. Just killed a guy. <laughs> and he killed another guy. Which guy? And it, and, and Another guy who was with the first guy. <laughs> so it's not like a weird double cross. It's not like, oh, he killed he killed Cooper and his own captain. No, he killed the guy that Cooper was with. He killed them both. Well, the squire's not dead. He's just no, that's, injured. That's true. Sorry, he's, killed, he's, he's just maimed. But from a cliffhanger standpoint. The, right? the yeah. thing that, that I think like really ticks me off about it is... The the way in which it's done, because like we need a gunshot to end the episode. So you ask who do we? I guess since we don't have a musical I just mean track. to say like the the question ends up being who fired the gun and at whom like who got shot. Right. But this is a guy that we've seen throw knives and two people yeah. at this point. Why couldn't he have just thrown another knife or just shot both of them? Because. Well, he couldn't shoot both of them because he only had the one and gun. Apparently and apparently just you know, the one it's knife. It's not semi-automatic. Yeah, and he only had the one knife, so there you go. I, w I thought that, like, I thought that throwing knives was his thing. Now guns are his it thing? It was. His first chamber shoots <laughs> knives. His second chamber shoots bullets. I think that the real problem is just that they, they wanted exactly. to have a cliffhanger. But also, they needed to have... Uh, they needed to have a uh, armed man burst into the scene and attack somebody. Otherwise, my there's no point is that the like the auditory element of this is the only reason to have him fire a gun. Right. So why bother with the <laughs> knife then? I guess is the real question. Why? Why not just ha uh, have Cherub step out of the shadows and uh, and fire a gun, and we don't see who he hits, and that would be. 
that would be a more effective cliffhanger because it could have been anybody at that point. Could have been the squire, could have been Cooper. Could have been the doctor. Could have been the doctor. Yeah. Could have been Ben. But turns out, you know, it was the squire who was gut shot. Cooper's dead. Polly yells for Ben to do something, which basically just consists of Ben calling Cherub a monster as Cherub retrieves his knife. The doctor insists on talking to Pike, but Cherub basically says, I'm the captain now. Do we know what Ben's role was in the Navy? Random sailor. Yeah. Popeye. I, I feel like he has no combat experience. No. Uh, Just, you know, guy on a ship. Whatever the lowest rank is, that was probably Ben. Yeah, Polly asks Cherub for some water for the wounded squire. And the doctor asks Cherub to have some mercy. And so Cherub's like, sure, I'll have some mercy. Calls Polly over and then immediately grabs her and puts his pistol to his head. Because there is absolutely nothing about Cherub that indicates this guy would have any mercy on anybody. He insists that the doctor tells him everything he knows. And so the doctor does. He tells Cherub the rhyme and, you know, suggests that maybe those are the names of some local villages. But Cherub's just like, nah, man, I know this those names. This is when I knew Cherub was toast, though, because Pike's <laughs> not here. Pike is intentionally not here. And I was like, if this guy tries to screw over Pike, he's done. He's getting piked. Yeah, and, you know, Cherub lets us know that the names in the rhyme are three former members of Avery's crew. And so that means that the fourth one would be Tim Deadman, Avery's galley boy. Who's coincidentally also dead. Yeah. (laughs) The squire reminds Cherub of Avery's curse, that Avery ended a mad drunk pauper. And legend has it that he traded his soul for the lives and souls of everyone who had come seeking his treasure. While this is going on in the church, we see that Blake is getting closer to the village with a squad of militia. And Pike is sending some men to raid the smuggler's cache while he goes into the church alone. Which they do a little too well. (laughs) Yes. Inside, he finds Cherub questioning the doctor. Pike figures that Cherub planned to take the gold and run, which Cherub promptly confirms when he aims his gun at Pike and the two start to fight. Get Polly back to the TARDIS and I will follow immediately Blake returns with the men. But I can't leave you here alone. There is no other way, child. Without either of you, they can't hold a hostage for me to force my hand. Yeah, that's true, but suppose I start on you. I've done it before, my dear boy. We must play for time. The doctor sends Ben and Polly down the tunnel to the TARDIS while he's going to wait for Blake. Polly's reluctant to leave him, but the doctor refuses to leave the pirates with any hostages to use against him. So he wants them out of the way. (laughs) I do think that was a good that was a good line, too, because, uh, you know. He's like, I don't want them to have any hostages. And I think Ben says something to the extent of like, what about you? And he's like, I've done this before. You guys are essentially useless. (laughs) Now that we've cracked the riddle, get out of here. It's like, you guys haven't been through this before. You know, this is basically my Sunday. Yeah. Hostage by pirates? Maybe ghost pirates. With the the pirates earlier outside the church, right before Pike comes in. Is this where we get introduced yes. to like this incredibly uh, imaginatively named group of, of pirates? Because we've got like 
What did we have? I wrote some of these down. The Spaniard. The Spaniard. Yeah, we had the Gap Spaniard. Tooth. I'm just saying, like, the, the guy is named Pike and has a pike for a hand. There's a guy named Jamaica. Yeah. It's presumably he's from Yeah, they from spent Jamaica. about like five seconds on these dudes' names. It's like, I'm Pike, I got a pike. You're cherub because you're the least angelic person I know. It's irony. Arr. Jamaica, gap tooth. You know, ironically though, gap gap tooth follows all the ADA recommendations on flossing once a day. It's <laughs> just it's <laughs> really unfortunate. It's just Yeah. <laughs> It's the scurvy, you see. Yeah. Makes your teeth fall out. While Ben and Polly are escaping, Pike has managed to disarm Cherub and runs him through without mercy, sending him back to his hellhole. And we get our so ding. So both, both here and uh, when he dispatches Jamaica, I feel like he's really chewing into it, too. Yeah. I like uh the acting from the from from Pike here or at least his line delivery we don't really get much acting uh <laughs> since we've only got stills yeah so Pike turns to the doctor and demands to know where the treasure is and the doctor agrees but he has some terms he doesn't want any of the treasure he just wants Pike to keep his men away from the village he doesn't want any innocents to suffer Pike is not willing to agree to this because, you know, his men's got to spill blood. But the squire begins to goad Pike with the idea, you just, you're just saying that because you can't control your crew. And Pike's like, you want to see you can't control his crew? Fine, I'll agree to your terms, doctor. We won't slaughter the village. <laughs> Outside, the pirates have collected all the goods and are getting good and drunk on the beach. A couple, Spaniard and possibly Gap Tooth, managed to find the TARDIS as well as the secret tunnel, which is hilarious because I just recently rewatched Avatar <laughs> and I have the song Secret Tunnel playing in my head right now. <laughs> I do think it's interesting how those two pirates, they like come across this TARDIS and they're like, huh, oh well. And then they just keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird moment. Huh, box. <laughs> oh, look at that. A completely incongruous structure that is built unlike anything I've ever seen in my life and is made of a color I don't usually see. Well, <laughs> well, usually I'd open a box like this and see if there are any doubloons yeah. inside. Ah, but forget it. It could be a container, like a shipping container. It's like a big crate. <laughs> I see these on the there. beach all the it's time. It's on a beach where smugglers next to a smuggling tunnel. Maybe some smugglers were forced to leave it here. But no, secret no. tunnel. Polly. Yeah? Put a kettle on. Inside the tunnel, Polly convinces Ben to go back and help the doctor. And Ben agrees, while also showing that I'm not the only one around here who makes terrible music references, when he tells Polly to go back to the TARDIS and put the kettle on. Outside the church, Blake splits his men into two groups, one to go into the tunnels, the other to go into the church. The old pincer. Yep. In the church, the doctor explains the riddle to Pike and points to a board that's at the intersection of the named tombs. Pike opens it up, reaches in with his hook, and pulls out some pearls. Well, he. I just want to. I just want to say this. Uh, need. This is also like needlessly awkward because he's like. <laughs> 
I'm opening the hole. There's nothing in here. And the doctor's like, how deep is it? And he's like, I don't know, pretty deep. No, there's nothing in here. And then he's like, keep looking. And he's like, oh, no, there it is. <laughs> like, what was the point? What was the point of that whole exchange? Because they had another minute to fill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hastily written story. You don't understand. I don't have a lot of sensation in this hook, okay? Yeah. <laughs> right. Why aren't you using your hand, Pike? And just jam it into some dark hole? I don't know what's in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how he lost the first hand. He's not going to make that mistake twice. <laughs> so Pike mocks the idea of Avery's curse, and then he hears shooting and gunfire coming from outside. Meanwhile, Polly exits the tunnel and is grabbed by some pirates. She squirms free and runs, screaming for Ben. There's some fighting as Ben knocks out one pirate and goes after the one that Polly's biting and fighting off. Uh, that pirate, Spaniard, gets the better of Ben and is about to kill him when a shot rings out. Blake has arrived and kills the Spaniard, so ding for Spaniard. I'm really glad that you have the transcripts because it was very confusing watching and trying to tell what was going on. It's just like a yeah. wall of sound. In some cases, yes, especially when you start getting into these action scenes. Uh, the pirates outside retreat into the church, and Blake enters through the tunnel. On seeing this, Pike accuses the doctor of laying a trap, and he tries to push his way through all the fighting to get to him. Meanwhile, the doctor is busy trying to tend to the wounded squire. As Pike is about to hook the doctor... The squire grabs his arm, and Blake shoots Pike dead, with Avery's treasures scattering around him. So ding for Pike, and presumably ding for all the pirates, because Blake mentions something about, you know, killing the whole pirate crew. Uh, in the chaos, Ben, Polly, and the Doctor all... S well, Ben and the Doctor, since Polly's already gone back to the TARDIS. But they slip into the cave and back out to the TARDIS. So they're all dead, then, the ones who wanted the treasure? Yes, superstition is a strange thing, my dear. But sometimes it tells the truth. Inside the TARDIS, Polly points out that everyone who wanted the treasure is dead. Well, the squire isn't, but I guess she doesn't know that. And the doctor says that sometimes superstition tells the truth. Okay, but does it? This was one of the things that actually bothered me a little bit about the whole Avery's curse thing. I'm like, it's just greed. There's no curse. There's like literally everybody just got greedy and they ended up shooting each other. I guess you could say that that's curse. Like Blake's just doing his job. A curse isn't just bad luck. A curse is like witchcraft. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you turn into skeleton Yes, exactly. Pirates. I did not get any skeleton pirates. They all just got greedy <laughs> and they died for it like you're supposed to. Can we also appreciate another bit of hasty writing that I noticed here, which I thought was pretty great. Like I was I was certain that like Blake was because remember, he's like, I want to thank the old man. I thought he was going to like run after them or something and see the TARDIS like, you know, dematerialize as is the thing they've done up until this point. But instead, Blake looks around and he sees that they're gone. He's like, huh. All right. <laughs> fair play to them. And yeah. <laughs> back to arresting people. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Uh, the TARDIS dematerializes with Ben saying, well, wherever we're going next can't be as bad as where oh, we just God. were. And oh. the doctor's like, dude, 
It's, it could be a good deal worse. Trust me. Polly begins to complain that she's cold. The doctor, well, that's because we've just landed at the coldest place in the world. Episode the thing ends. The that bothered me about that is it then says, next time, the 10th planet. The 10th planet. Yes, I, I'm right there with you. Which... <laughs> Easily, like, it couldn't be the coldest place in the world. The coldest place in the world is most likely Antarctica. It's it's the coldest place in the world that they are I guess on. so. It's the coldest part of the 10th planet. I guess you'll have to see the next story to find out exactly what that means, what the doctor means, and so on. The suspense is killing me. So... Our discussion wrap-up, our reactions to this. Are we going to give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a meh? And I will go ahead and start with Bay this time. Which way is your thumb going, Bay? Like, even before the doctor fixed my thumb, it was going straight up. This one's good. (laughs) This one's good. It takes a while to get going, but then, like, goes crazy. And in, like, some of the best ways that we've gotten, uh, the new companions are very good. I want more out of Polly. We've got a lot from Ben. Ben, I can't give a full thumbs up to because, like, he's just got to work on that accent, man. It's it's killing me. I can't see his face <laughs> moving. So uh, half the time, I have no idea what he's getting at. It didn't help that, like, the first few episodes were kind of confusing, figuring out everybody's motivations. We've been over all of that. But, yeah, when this... When this serial gets going, it gets really good. For a serial about pirates, we didn't have a whole lot of time on the sea, which I would have appreciated. Well, maybe there was more <laughs> that they all got seasick and that, said, "Hell that's no." That's possible. Were the we didn't really talk about this, Shawnee? Were the were the shots on the boat? I'm assuming that like it was moored somewhere. Probably, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I don't think they yeah. would sail out to sea to you get sea know. shots. But no, that would make no sense. I mean, we, we have no, we have hardly any footage from this serial, yeah. so it's hard to know, you know, uh, with, with some of this stuff. No, I thought it was good, and uh, I only wish that we could have seen it in motion. All right, let's go to Andy, who has a very Tom like look on his <laughs> face. Yeah, I've been thinking about it, and like, I don't know. I mean, um, I guess. I was going to give this a meh, but I guess given, you know, I do agree with some of the things that Bay has said, like, even though I had no earthly idea why all these people were yelling and like killing each other, I knew it had something to do with treasure. And I really liked Pike's reactions and his acting. Like, I loved how he played it once he finally got the the gold. Like he he really, you know, made the episode, I think. So I guess I'm going to have to give this one... Um, a hooks up. <laughs> All right. Chris, what about you? Yeah, um, I'm thinking about it, and uh, I feel like um, uh, there's a lot of uh, room for improvement. Um, you know, I was I was invited to be uh, a, a co-host, a, a guest uh, for this episode because I am a pirate lifestyle enthusiast. <laughs> so I... That's amazing. I uh, I feel like obligated to give uh, the show a good rating for the pirates. It's not the uh, most exciting pirate story, uh, but 
you know, I've also been following a lot of uh, your um, uh, your Doctor Who showings, and uh, I do think it's one of the uh, uh, more uh, exciting uh, episodes of um, uh, the uh, early series that I've seen so far. And, uh, you know, it, it earns a lot of points in my book uh, for introducing Polly and Ben. I think it's uh, things seem to be kind of stepping up from here on out. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a so thumbs up. You don't, you don't wow. feel like uh, they slandered your people? No. Wow. So it looks like I'm the <laughs> this time around because I'm giving really? it a thumbs down. Ooh. I would go so far to say that this might be the William Hartnell story that I enjoy the least. I do not believe. I don't um. believe that. I don't believe that for a second. With all of the other Hartnell stories that we've had, that's a bold yeah, claim, sir. Yeah, but here's sir. the thing. Some of the other ones that we've had, like, take Look, the web Andy's planet. Got, Andy's got Tom face. <laughs> the web planet is is a far, far worse than this. But at least it's it's crazy and interesting. Or, you know, the Space Museum has that first episode that is crazy and interesting. I also tend to like the crazier sci-fi uh, episodes more than the uh, some of the uh, slower um, historical episodes. Uh, but uh, I don't know. This isn't. This is not the best uh, of these uh, early Doctor Who's I've seen. But it's certainly I'm not just the worst. Surprised. See, I just find this one incredibly mediocre, and mediocrity is the thing that I can stand the least. <laughs> And so I am more likely to dislike some, you know, dislike something that's extremely mediocre more than I am to dislike something that's just that's, terrible. I, I have to agree with you there. <laughs> I would rather see a uh, overly ambitious, terrible failure. Yes, uh, like than, the web uh, planet. <laughs> mediocre, uh, some mediocre trash that was. I don't. In. I don't know, and man. That's that kind of my feelings about this one. Has there been plenty movies. of serials that I've thought were meh? But I don't know if you could you could get me to watch the Web Planet again. I mean, Galaxy yeah, was Four. <laughs> yeah, Whereas you would yeah. watch, Bay, you would watch this one again just to try to figure out what's happening. Interesting yeah. twists and stuff to it. I, I don't think that this one had much of anything of interest to it. It was just kind of you don't generic like people pirate adventure, except the Doctor. It just felt very generic. to Okay, me. that's fair. If, <laughs> if you think like pirate stories are pretty generic, yeah. I mean, it it felt like you know tick the pirate story checkbox uh, thing. Okay, to me, I could you know? I could feel that, but I so and I and I like the principle of the like mediocre being worse than, but that tells me that this is actually a meh for you, not a thumbs down. Meh, meh. I don't know. I I I don't know if I've given too many mehs. Uh, I see, but. They're probably two things that have at least something interesting to it, but not enough to warrant this a is, thumbs This up. is interesting. While this, I don't see anything interesting to it here. All that I see is Immortan Joe yelling this, mediocre. This, <laughs> this gets that. at, I think, a difference in like rating things that I've talked with Russo mm-hmm. about before, where I am more likely to be like middle of the road... Like every song or movie that I have ever heard is probably in that like middle of the road three star. Very few get like a good rating and like even fewer get an excellent rating. Like it, 
it kind of has to be the worst thing that I've ever seen or heard to get like one or no stars, right? Whereas it sounds like you're much spikier in your... I think that, I, you know, everything is sort of, you know, a upside down curve where things that are just absolute amazing, beautiful trash are going to be, you know, thumbs up and things that are absolutely amazing are going to be thumbs up. While, you know, something like this that's right there at the very bottom of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do know... Uh, Bay, what you're talking about, though, because I, I remember back in the day when Netflix actually uh, had people rate things with star ratings instead of just the thumbs up or thumbs down. I saw the way you rated everything in your Netflix. Uh, <laughs> like, why is everything uh, three stars? Uh, you, you had rated literally every single thing three stars. <laughs> and I would I would see, like, no matter what you watch, you would dutifully go ahead and, and make sure to rate it. But it was just three stars for almost absolutely everything, uh, and you 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 rate things on a extremely steep bell curve. While me, I'm like you know, oh, Oscar-winning movie, The English Patient. That's the most mediocre movie I've ever seen. Half Ooh. a star, trash. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, I didn't like that guy's face. Thumbs down. <laughs> I feel like I'm the least well, consistent of us. Shawnee, what do, what do the critics have to say? What do, do they agree with us or you? Well, let's look at the viewing numbers first. Our viewing numbers for this one, episode three went as low as 4.2 million. Episode two was as high as 4.9 million. Overall, these are the worst viewing numbers that the show will see until 1986. Holy smokes! So this Damn. was... This was the least seen Doctor Who story until the British late British people 80s. are racist against pirates. <laughs> um, the reactions that we had. Doctor Who superfan Jeremy Bentham. Oh, here we go. Says, not one of the best remembered stories, but one of the most ambitious, which I have no idea where he saw this ambition from, but it certainly is one of the least mm. remembered. The reviews that we have. We have one that says amiable but unremarkable. Elizabeth Sandifer calls it a profoundly unambitious story that may be the story about which people care the least. She's so harsh. I like I really is is she still kicking it with us? Is she still around? Yeah, she's definitely around. I'm not sure if she's still reviewing Doctor Who because she did not like the most recent era of the show. Oh. Andy just appreciates her savagery. <laughs> she is savage. Yep. Um, about Time agrees mostly with her, saying this may be the least remembered Doctor Who story of all time. They go on to say that the story just seems so calculated with its perfectly followed tropes. It seems more devoted to giving the showmakers what they needed rather than giving the audience what they'd want. And finally, in terms of the story itself, at this point, this is basically a cakewalk for the Doctor, considering all that he's been through to this point. So, like, oh, just some Cornish pirates? I was fighting war machines and Daleks recently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. So, in our polls, in the 2008 poll, this was number 159 out of 200. 
In 2013, this was 194 out of 241. Uh, Things that get praised, the location shooting, or what we can see of it anyways, the fact that there was location shooting, and also the fact that it has a solid cast and good acting, even if a character like Jamaica would not be seen today. That's something that I didn't really mention. (laughs) I think everybody, even the secondary characters, like... We had a good set of actors for this story. I'm I'm excluding like tertiary characters like like uh, Tom or I don't even think Jamaica played as big a role. But you know, like Blake was good, Pike was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Longfoot? Uh, I keep wanting yeah. to say Longstreet, but that's a Civil War general. Just like all of those secondary characters in this story, I thought were we had great actors for. Yeah. And the negative things that got said about it is mostly just some variation of this is a very forgettable story. (laughs) It's just not one people care about. And a big reason for that, when we get into our impact section, is that this story doesn't have much of an impact whatsoever. It didn't really affect the future of the show in any way. So it's just kind of a... That's very Real, meta. It, this is a throwaway adventure. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's the first one with Polly and Ben as companions, but I guess I guess yeah. not really. I guess really it's a previous episode that introduces them. It doesn't it doesn't feel like they're fully fledged companions in that one though. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of yeah. like this limbo for them. Right. They're definitely in the mystery machine yeah. crew on yeah. this one. Yeah. But yeah, no, this is just, you know, basically a filler episode <laughs> or a filler story as uh, is what it feels like. It's so much so that no one even bothered to novelize it until 1988. So most of the novelizations started around 1973, with the last one coming in 1990, which was the year after the show ended. And this one they didn't get to till 1988. <laughs> So, yeah. Not a high priority. Nope. And, yeah, that's really all that I have to say about the smugglers. So, next time, we'll be watching The Tenth Planet. And I'd like to thank Chris, our, you know, pirate enthusiast, for joining us for this one. Thank you. Glad to be here. And, you know, I'm glad that you all enjoyed it a lot more than I did. I didn't mean to start a mutiny. No, no, no. It's cool. It's cool. So, uh, you know, join us on Twitter, join our Facebook group, email us, subscribe, rate, share. Thanks for thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, I'm I hope this uh, episode was more memorable and less confusing to you than it was uh, for me. And we'll see you next week. Love being confused with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And uh, yeah, here's hoping that uh, the next one's more memorable than this. Good night, everybody.